Welcome, 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 everybody. Happy Women's History Month. It's Women's History Month. It is the month of celebrating women. Women's History Month is the best. Welcome, actually, to the Breakline Arena. I had the amazing opportunity to sit down with some incredible alums to gather their stories and to get to the heart of what this Breakline community of absolute kick-ass women really do and had the opportunity to celebrate them. In these Women History Month episodes, our alums brought their lights. They are uplifting, they are inspiring, and will leave you knowing that there's other people out there blazing trails and inviting you to join them too. So without further ado, let's head on over to the arena to hear from our alums in celebration of Women's History Month. What is up, everybody? My name is Sophia. I am a talent recruiter at Breakline, and I am so excited to share this conversation. I am here with Mandy. Mandy, can you please introduce yourself for everybody? Hi, Sophia. It's great to be with you today. I'm Mandy Birch, and I went through Breakline, let's see, it's been a little more than three years ago now. I I joined Breakline as I was transitioning from the Air Force. I had been an engineer and an international strategist in the Air Force. I was looking to transition to tech when I met Bethany and the Breakline crew. And uh, as of today, I've been at Rigetti Computing out in Berkeley, California for three years now since Breakline. (gasps) Your three-year anniversary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I when I first thought about uh, Breakline and a transition to tech, you know, Bethany and the team had definitely coached of you know just think about the next steps. This doesn't have to be for your forever job, but I yeah. might have actually found a forever job right oh, out of Breakline. Rigetti is your soulmate. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mandy, just to kick things off, can you tell us your story? Let's let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? Um, where you been? Where are you now? Maybe where are you going next? All right, sure. Well, I grew up in rural Indiana, which is just a great place to be from. You learned the good Midwestern work ethic. I grew up yes. in an agricultural community. Most people didn't go to college. Our high school was a magnet for learning agriculture. We didn't have AP classes and those sort of things. But I tell you what, being part of just a great, encouraging community, I was an athlete and a swimmer, and I got recruited to go to the U.S. Air Force Academy, which totally changed my life. I had only been to a couple of states before I went out to Colorado So that was just a huge life-changing event uh, that gave me so much opportunity. No one in my high school had ever gone to a military academy before. Very few people even went to university or college, right? So it was a, you know, I feel like a breakthrough moment that my community had prepared me for and encouraged me to go to. So then after the Air Force Academy, I was fortunate enough to get a, a graduate degree slot at MIT, where uh, I went off and studied mechanical engineering. And then right after that, launched my Air Force career, where I spent more than 20 years. And I'm still a reservist today in the Air Force, but have transitioned to this role at Rigetti Computing, where I lead our technology partnerships team, which builds relationships. You could think of it as our business part, but we're still pre-product market fit early on in the quantum computing industry. So lots of different types of relationships uh, to help us advance the technology and really get to utility for quantum computing. 
Can you explain to everybody um, what Rigetti is and what you guys are up to? Oh, Rigetti, we build quantum computers. We do that from the bottom up. We have a foundry where we fabricate our chips. We integrate those into the cryogenic environment, which is colder than outer space. All the control systems, all of the software, compiler, computer language to program them, and then all the way out to applications. So it's a, a new kind of, you can think of it as a computational accelerator, a new type of computational capability that allows you to accelerate certain workflows, particularly in machine learning, in optimization problems, and in simulating things that are inherently quantum mechanical in nature, biology, chemistry, those sorts of things. So it's a, an idea, this idea of harnessing quantum physics, which we've known about for about a century and are just now getting to the point where we understand it well enough that we can engineer and build around those principles. So it's a really exciting yeah. um, company to be at in this space. It's so groundbreaking. I'm it so is. I'm so excited. That's amazing. <laughs> I like to build things. Software is cool, but building hardware is a whole other level of complexity. And it's a lot of fun to, to have something tangible at the end of the day from the work that we're doing. I exciting. wish you guys could see Mandy is beaming. She just loves talking about <laughs> quantum computing. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Awesome. Um, thanks for diving into that. And I, I would love to kind of just like dig into the details if you don't mind. So, yeah, sure. Um, so you, you left your small town in Indiana and then you went to the Air Force Academy. How was that transition? How were you feeling? Were you excited? Were you a little intimidated? Well, yes, all of the above. I just realized what an amazing opportunity is that our nation affords young people this opportunity. I mean, I, I think about going to college, it's not something I could have paid for without working my way through or scholarships or those sort of things, right? So to have a full ride scholarship to go get an education was just amazing. Yeah, I thought of myself as a pretty tough person. I'm athletic and whatnot, but I was pretty homesick. I think that was the really, mm. really the hard thing. You know, back in the day, we didn't have cell phones and email and all of that to yep. reach out to friends and family. Uh, my mom wrote me every day. I remember Aww. it was such an encouragement to me. But I think, you know, there were just some wonderful things. I, I felt that there were people I met different kinds of people. I was exposed to a much more diverse group of people and found yeah. it just so easy to connect with people that had similar interests to me, which I didn't necessarily mm -hmm. have as much growing up. I, we, we didn't, you know, again, we were focused more on agricultural professions and I didn't know people who were engineers or scientists or mathematicians and people that were interested in those sort of things. So the exposure there, yes, it was tough. I always say that the Air Force Academy is a great place to be from. It's not mm -hmm. always pleasant at the time, but it's definitely one of those character building, opportunity building experiences that I am so glad that I pursued that path. Oh my gosh. Yes, I can totally see that. And even how, you know, as you're joining these new communities, even if they don't share the same background as you, having those shared interests that can almost like embolden you and, and really make it feel like, you know, this is where I'm at and it's okay and I'm going to get by. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think this is a really key to belonging in having shared interests or a shared mission. Certainly in the military, that shared mission 
is what creates this environment where we can all really have a sense of belonging and contribution. So I first saw that at the Air Force Academy in a very powerful way. Yeah. So so then you you left the Air Force Academy um, and then you started your career. And I would love to just hear a little bit more about um, your career in the Air Force. Maybe so, some lessons learned, uh, the people you met, the experiences you had. I had some amazing experiences along the way. I started out my career working in a research lab and I was working on really cool technology that's still cutting edge today. It was de- I was a, a guidance and control systems engineer. I worked at the Air Force Research Laboratory Munitions Lab and was working on micro uh, UAS's swarming technologies, yes. uh, autonomous capabilities for aerial platforms. So all kinds of things that are still cutting edge and pretty cool to think about today. You know, I was working on 25 years ago. So I really loved that experience. I will say, however, though, I felt like the Air Force Academy had really prepared me to be a leader Mm -hmm. and the technical contribution was really fun. I also was excited to be able to exercise leadership skills. And one of the reasons I I made a career transition within the Air Force early on, one of the reasons is because I I met and married a fighter pilot and he had limited places where he could go. So I needed Mm -hmm. to flex in my career to be able to do that. But um, I switched to a civil engineer as a career field, which gave me the opportunity to work with much larger teams. You know, by the time I was 30 and a major, I was leading a team of 350 people. And then, you know, over the next few years, I was leading teams of two to 3,000 people coming from dozens and dozens of career fields and backgrounds and maintaining the infrastructure, you know, kind of like the, you would think of it as kind of the, the, the mayor of a city, you know, yeah. in force installations, all the things that you have to take care of. That was my career path uh, in the Air Force. And then with some other things sprinkled in with this international relations background that I have and being a, a French speaker and, and opportunities to use those skills. So I had just some amazing experiences, met some great people along the way. One of my first bosses in the Air Force was just such a inspiration and encouragement to me, taught me things about belonging and learning to grow my own stripes. And so just how do you capture 25 years of interesting experiences, you know, in in a short (laughs) podcast interview here, but hopefully that's a little sampling of experiences that I had deployed all of those sort of things. Oh my gosh. No, definitely. That, that was perfect. And so in these, it's, you know, you guys, this is our women's history month episode. So we got to ask the questions about the ladies. So in these teams, um, what was the representation like? Um, Did you see people who kind of looked like you, who had shared backgrounds as you? And if you did or didn't, you know, how did that really affect your work? Did it affect your experience? the way that you accommodated your leadership style? So it's an interesting question. I think when I was at the Air Force Academy, I didn't think about it a lot. I, I, I just felt such camaraderie. When you go through basic training with people, like all of that melts away. You don't care about gender. Like none of that is even obvious, right? Like you're, you're just um, all working together to survive together in those character forming experiences. I can say... You know, reflecting back on it, I was often the only female. I mean, you put at the intersection military and engineer. Those are two things that in and of themselves don't attract a lot of women. So you put them together. You know, when I led, I led a unit of 450 engineers. I was the first commander of that unit that was a female. There were nine women 
in the entire oh, organization of 400 and some. So, you know, the, not, not a whole lot. And from the very beginning, though, you know, I, I had experiences that sometimes I would sit back and scratch my head. You know, I, I, I had people that would say, like, I remember one day in particular in that job where I was a commander of the unit, somebody came up to me and said something like, you know, we're really surprised you're a good leader. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that's, like, you know, there's a backhanded compliment. Do you want to right? tell me but, why? <laughs> yeah, but, but, but he said, look, we all assumed you were put here for affirmative action reasons rather than being qualified for the job. And it's so inspirational to see that you're qualified for the job. And, you know, I think that that story kind of summarizes many of the experiences I had. When I moved to a new job, I didn't feel like I had automatic respect. People questioned yeah. whether I had performed or had the capabilities and skills to be there, or if I was just a plant to try to uh, facilitate diversity. Yeah. And, y you know, I, I think about there's pros and cons. The cons of it are obvious, right? Like it's, you don't necessarily feel like you belong and you can work yourself to death trying mm -hmm. to prove yourself that you fit exactly, in and you have yeah. these skills and capabilities. It's been interesting. My my husband's also a military officer, so his experiences have been different. You know, when he when he arrives at a new unit, everyone assumes that he's qualified. So he starts from up here, which, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, I don't feel jealous about in some ways, because if you start at the top on the platform, you can only go down. And we I love an underdog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd rather start from no one's expecting much of me and then grow respect over time. And I feel like that there's a lot more grace for imperfection and whatnot. But again, you have to balance that out. The, the tough thing is just feeling like you have to work and prove yourself um, in these situations. Yes. But I can say, I mean, I mean, I don't think, I never took it personally, right? Like when I would talk with people and they would question or say things that sounded like backhand and compliments, you know, I, I just took a, a curious angle. Like, it's really interesting. Like, why why do we think about things this way? And, and a lot of mm -hmm. it is just an artifact of where we are as a culture and a society. You know, this is how people have been brought up. It's not, Absolutely. you know, and, and, and the opportunity to actually have a conversation. I always welcomed those conversations to revector and, and and think about, you know, when someone when someone would say, I remember another comment, right? Like, Oh, you remind me of my daughter, right? It's when I'm working with somebody that's a few years older than me or whatever, and I'm mm -hmm. their leader, and it, and I would say things like, "Oh, is she an engineer as well?" Right? Like I would ask questions yeah. to kind of just turn the table and 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 not take it personally. So that's something that I feel like I've grown over time and not being so defensive and just trying to find an opportunity to make it positive. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love that technique. Just kind of like turn the mirror around. <laughs> Why do you mean that? And I think that's also just an important part of finding allies within folks is recognizing where they're coming from. And even though you don't want to have to do all the heavy lifting of, you know, educating them about why maybe their their comments are a little bit off-putting or diminishing in some capacities, um, you know, having the grace to approach those conversations with I know that maybe you didn't mean to offend me in that fashion, but you did. And how can we maybe ameliorate your communication style so that next time you aren't doing that to someone else? Well, to pick up on this theme of allyship, you just mentioned it. And I have to yes. think back to, you know, there were times where I needed to initiate that conversation myself. But I can tell you one of the most 
powerful examples of allyship that I've experienced both in the military, but in my role now at Rigetti as well. I find that having a male peer who begins to recognize the patterns that are going on and how it, it, it and they become your advocate. They become sensitive for you. Mm-hmm. And I, this happened the first time without me initiating it. I had a wonderful colleague, I remember, at the Pentagon. And I had a guy that would stop by my desk, give me a hard time regularly, and like talk to the other men. I was the only woman in that office. Talk to the other men about things in a very macho way. And this other guy, my peer, at one point, he was just like what are you, some kind of a sexist pig? You know, I mean, he just went off and, and like started calling him. This guy was like, he had a great sense of humor and he, you know, funny. But he regularly, that was one example, but like he would regularly, sometimes in a more serious way, but he was able to diffuse the situation and he became my advocate. And I can't tell you how I felt like I began to thrive and grow and flourish in an environment where I didn't feel like I had to be constantly the one to create the environment that yeah. somebody else was on my side. And, and since then, you know, I've actually started to ask for that and say, hey, I, these are things I'm noticing in our culture are kind of hard for me. I don't feel at my best when these things are happening. Like, yeah. could I count on you to help me look out for these? And like, it would be less awkward if, if I had a partner to help see these things as well. And I've been able to find allies in the workplace that have really made it a much better experience overall and to not feel isolated or alone, even though things may be difficult or challenging at times. Yes. Oh my gosh. No, I I love that story. And I love that you've sort of created an environment where you're willing to advocate for yourself and say, I know that I'm going to perform at my best if I'm feeling supported. And that means that maybe I'm going to need someone else to back me up every now and then. And (laughs) it kind of is reminiscent of, um, I don't know if you got to join us when we had Lieutenant General Stewart come speak with Breakline. I did. Yeah. Wasn't that such a good one? It was amazing. He was talking about how um, the concept of allyship has affected him in so many capacities. So he is black and he was saying that he had so many people of sort of all backgrounds who were really pushing for him to kind of rise through the ranks, but that having that allyship was so central to his development and that, you know, you don't always have to just lean on the people that look exactly like you. In fact, it's going to be a more inclusive space if we're able to sort of pull in perspectives from all over and build each other up in that way. So I love that you brought up that, that piece of male allyship too. I mean, it's, it's so important. I think early on in my career, I really hoped that there was a female engineer, senior officer shared beliefs with me. And, you know, 10 years into my career, I just realized she doesn't exist. That person is just in my imagination. Wouldn't it be nice if this person existed? She doesn't exist. And so I took a much different approach to getting the support that I needed, took a much more network mentorship kind of approach of like, I can learn this from this person, I can learn this from this person instead of idolizing one person that could really help me navigate all of it. I found having a network of people that can support me. So I think that ties in very nicely with, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that looks just like you or has your same background that can really be an ally and a support and and an opportunity to grow. 
Definitely. And do you ever think to yourself, like, I want to be the person in some way where if someone's looking up at this organization, they can see me and they can know that I will be there for them um, and maybe help lift them up. I guess what I'm asking is, how do you pay it forward? Yeah, I absolutely think that's critically important. And I am drawn to younger folks. One, because again, when I have this network of mentors, I consider people much younger than me my mentors, particularly where the space that I'm in now, where it's highly technical, I work with quantum physicists, I don't have that background. So I can look to these folks to learn and grow in that area. So to me, this idea of mentorship, I don't know, sometimes that feels like a strong word because I find that these relationships are always mutual and we can learn and grow from one another. So I cherish those relationships. I think the thing that I really care most about in these kind of relationships with younger people that want to be on a path similar to mine or maybe face some of the same challenges that I do is I just, there's things I wish that I knew when I were younger. And if I had grokked those things earlier, like how much less stressful things could be. Like what if I had figured out how to find allies in the workplace, you know, at five years into my career instead of, you know, 15 or 20 years into my career? What if I had recognized that I was striving to prove myself early on in my career where I had capacity? Like when I was more junior in my career, you can spend extra time proving yourself. But once you're to the executive level, it's absolutely exhausting. Every executive level position demands so much energy and capacity. And if you're mm-hmm. also trying to manage, you know, striving and performance on top of just the sheer volume of work you already have, like there's no margin. And I found that's been squeezed out more and more. And I wish I could have mastered some of these ways of thinking earlier on and just think of what kind of impact might I had and what, what, how much more peace might I had in my life. So that's something I really want to pay forward, like things that I've learned and reflected on working in these environments where you feel like you might be an outlier and have to prove yourself. How can you get that support around you sooner? I think it just sets, opens up and sets the conditions for, for thriving much earlier on. Yeah. And Mandy, I will tell you, and and you'll hear when we release these episodes that that has been a running thread throughout a lot of these conversations has been, you know, um, women sort of squeezing themselves all the way out, trying to be almost having this perfectionist mindset of, I need to prove myself. I need to prove myself. I'm going to be the best version that I can be. And let me just say, I haven't mastered it. It is a daily battle. Daily, not weekly, monthly, like it is a daily every single day to remind myself that what I'm doing here is enough, you know, and, yes. and I can move on and I can feel I've made an important contribution today. Yes, that is that is an important thing. Maybe I should start going to bed and saying I've made an important contribution. Let's sleep well. Let's do it again tomorrow. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it's it's a very serious thing. I think taking inventory at the end of the day, you know, cultivating a practice of gratitude and thinking, what am I grateful for? What did I contribute today? And will that thing be remembered, you know, a day from now, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, and really thinking back on those things and then let that inform what are you going to do the next day so that you're really choosing those things that are most important. Again, I don't have it mastered, but I try to do those things to get my mindset and get my focus in the right direction. Yes. So important. Um, so <laughs> I know we were, we were talking about your career in the military and then we went down this 
gorgeous tangent, but I'd love to bring it back. So you then transitioned, you went through Breakline, um, and I know you said that you have, you feel like you might've found your, your forever spot. And I, I, you know, we would love to launch into a little bit of what that experience was like. I think a real key through the transition, when I found Breakline, I had already been wrestling for about three years with what is my core purpose? What are my strengths? Can I come to grips with them? So by the time I got to Breakline, I felt like I had done a lot of reflection. What do I like about what I'm doing? How can my strengths play uh, a role and have impact? And I think really being clear about that as I sought my next position. And so, you know, it was at that point in life that I really developed my life purpose with a, a capital P and being able to set the conditions for people to thrive. And I think about that on several dimensions, it, you know, internal to an organization and ensuring that people are in the conditions where they can be their best self every day and really make an important contribution to the mission. But then also setting the conditions for people to thrive by what the company does and what we bring to the world and quantum computing, for instance, has so much potential to have a positive impact on humanity and help us solve some of the greatest challenges that are out there. So from that perspective, that reflection allowed me to tie this thread of continuity throughout my military career, my childhood, frankly, my military career, bridge it to this season of my career where this is just a very natural next step. Early on, you asked me, where am I going next? I didn't really yeah. get that, get to that. But it's this, it feels very continuous, setting the conditions for people to thrive. And when I'm in the heart of doing that and deliberate about doing that every day, you know, that, that, that is very exciting to me. And I, I think I was really drawn to Rigetti in particular because in the military, you have a very mission-based culture. Mm -hmm. And I found that at Rigetti as well. I can't say I haven't experienced lots of jobs in tech, so I can't say whether or not that's pervasive or not. But certainly coming from the military, I had a stereotype that anyone outside of government and nonprofit sectors were looking for money and were motivated by money and corporate profits and all of that. I have absolutely found that not to be the case. Like there are... <laughs> just as inspiring, motivated people. And I would say, I feel that sense of camaraderie and mission of Rigetti as much as I did in the military because we have a really ambitious mission to do something really hard, to bond together, to show the world what's possible and to bring yes. something to bear. So that, you know, as much as a transition as you might think it would be, by being clear on my purpose and my strengths, I was really able to feel a great deal of continuity through a season of change. I love that response. It seriously just warmed my heart. And I, what was your process of sort of finding that capital P purpose? Was it, you know, were you making lists? Were you taking walks <laughs> in nature? Like, what was that process like? So many people sort of go through this process and don't even know how to approach it. I know. I don't know that I have the answers. I meandered for about three years working <laughs> on it, but I did things like the Gallup Strength Finder. I did personality tests. Nice. I, I mean, and, and I did some really difficult wrestling. I'll just give you an example. When I did the Gallup Strength Test, one of my top five strengths is command. And I immediately felt ashamed because it is, you know, the ability to be able to step into a situation take charge, make things happen. And it so clashed with gender norms and identity. Yeah. And I just, I felt embarrassed that that was my strength. And so 
part of it, and I, I, again, I haven't completed this process, but it was just coming to grips with what am I good at? What am I denying? What am I not embracing about myself? So going through some of those tests and doing reflection, engaging with friends and family, you know, asking friends, is this me? What I think that I'm coming to conclusions on, is this me? And I actually had friends and family give me written responses to those things and how does it show up? So that was a fun part of the process. And I also, um, I engaged mentors and I engaged a coach uh, to really help me sort through some of this and ask me the hard questions and help me to be accountable for it. So, you know, it was, it was a lot of, it wasn't like one day I sat down and made a list and I was able to figure it out. It was just this evolution over time until I got to this you know, was working with a coach and I was really able to get a sense of peace around, no, this is my purpose. These are my values. These are my strengths. And then it was really easy to see how all of this fits together into not only a career path, but a life plan, if you will. Definitely. And it sounds like you were, you were certainly intentional about sort of pursuing these answers about yourselves. And I like that you also employed the people around you who know you, who love you. I think oftentimes when um, we feel a little bit of, of shame about maybe a part of our personality, even if the shame is coming from these prescribed gender norms, it's often hard to reach out and say, is this really me? Like, do you guys, you guys think that? I didn't know. I didn't know that about myself, <laughs> but I love that process. I'm going to do that. Dear friends and families, watch out. I'm coming for you. We're going to... T- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're meant to operate in relationships, right? And I think when you are an outlier, it's easy to feel alone. So you have to make a special effort to connect with people. And, you know, I think that that starts with friends and family. And frankly, it's it's the reason I can go out and do crazy hard jobs. I, I mean, the environments right. I've worked in are not easy and not everybody is called to working in these kinds of environments but I do feel like because I have a sense of identity that first starts frankly with my spiritual walk that comes from a family of origin who showed me the meaning of unconditional love and I can tell you more stories about that but like that solid sense of identity and knowing that I have a home base I can present myself to the world, because if you wanted to put this back in allyship terms, you know, that I have this home base of allies that, you know, are in the arena with me and fighting and their opinion matters. And and I am worthy. That's my name, actually. I am uh, worthy of love. Amanda means worthy of love. So when I get up and say, good, good morning, Mandy, I'm saying good morning, you are worthy of love, right? Um, So I can go out and do difficult, risky things that may make, you know, I may get bruised and battered, but I have a place to come back to. And I know that who I am is not affected, is is not what I accomplished. Those things are not equivalent. So I can go take risks and I might fail and and be, I'm okay with that because I know that that's not all of me. That's not my identity. How did you, I I know you said that you, you could kind of launch into this and how did your family sort of foster that sense of self within you? Well, my parents, I mean, I just always remember just very vividly and to this day, I know how much they love me. And I I can't think of a better gift to give your children than to know that regardless of how you behave or what you accomplish or what you achieve, that you are worthy because you're a human being, you're part of a family and you are loved. And that just does something for you. And I think it was particularly prominent in my family. I have a sister who is both physically and mentally challenged. And so 
I think I learned very early on that the value of a person is not what they accomplish in the world and certainly not through a career. I mean, just to give you an example, my sister, when she comes to visit us, she just wants to be right in the middle of what we're doing. She always wants hugs and wants to be there and, and just wants your presence more yeah. than anything and is not concerned about what we're achieving or getting done or that sort of thing. And so it just, I think that is just a deeply held value of, of, you know, human beings, no matter how they behave are worthy of unconditional love. And oh my gosh. I mean, it's just, again, what else could you ask for? Like that is, that is the that most is important it. thing to start life in. Yeah. And, oh even, and if you didn't have that growing up, like that doesn't mean you can't go get it. You can create mm -hmm. relationships where there is a foundational understanding that this is not about what you do or how you behave. You know, you are loved for who you are. And it does take time to build those relationships. I had the advantage of having that from childhood. Um, but that doesn't mean if you missed out on that, that you can't go get that. No, 100%. We, we're building this. We're building this tree of love and we're spreading out and everyone is welcome <laughs> to come hang I mean, out in the shade. I feel like that with Breakline, right? Every time I engage with one of these events, you all have just such a special way of reminding every people, uh, reminding us how we're loved and, you know, you're behind us and we can do this. And I just love that. I mean, that's the kind of it's it's reminiscent of growing up and knowing that I have a safe place and a place where people believe in me. Absolutely. No, that that is I mean, you're going to make me cry over here. <laughs> but that's what this community is all about. Um, it really is just about uplifting each other and, and helping, you know, see your own worth. We're really oftentimes just holding up a mirror so that people can remember how awesome they are. Um, and, you know, building this, building this awesome group of human beings who are supporting and uplifting one another. Too great. Um, it's powerful. It's so powerful. So we talked, to, we talked about where you've been and where are you going next, Mandy? I, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know that it's aligned with my life purpose, setting the conditions for people to thrive. I think, you know, when I look back on my career, my career path doesn't look like anything anyone would ever plan out. It is just, I, I said yes to opportunities along the way. You know, people I worked with would call me up and say, hey, I've got a mess here. I need your help. Or I think you would be perfect for this. And I'm like, okay, I don't know, that doesn't really interest me, but I like working with you, so I'm going to go do so that. So let's see, okay. And so that's kind of how my career has gone. And I have to say, it couldn't have turned out better if I tried to plan it, if I had tried to be in control of things. So all of that to say, what's next? I don't know, I hold it loosely. I know that I want to be setting the conditions for people to thrive. I'm happy where I'm at, and I feel like one step at a time, you know, just shining a light on the path. I don't have to know exactly where I'm going. I can take things one step at a time, really enjoy and be present in the experience that I have. I haven't mastered all there is to do in the opportunity that I have at Regetti. So, uh, and I don't see that on the horizon, being at a startup in particular. There's so many ways to stretch and learn and grow. I really love that um, about working maybe in tech in general, but certainly at a small company in tech. So for now, I just, keep stretching and growing and, and looking for those opportunities to leverage my strengths, to contribute to the impact that I want to have in the world. Um, we, and we're going to be cheering you along the whole time. 
<laughs> I mean, I think one thing that inspires me is I, I'm thinking about this quantum industry in particular. And if you look at computer science, there are so many inspirational women who were there at the beginning, but those careers lost diversity early on. And mm. I think about quantum computing and what is it that we can do at the beginning to make sure that we preserve the diversity or expand the diversity that we have? Because there's so many areas of impact for quantum computing. If we don't draw from people with such a broad base of experiences, yes. mm -hmm. you know, we want the technology to be used for good. And the best way to do that and the best way to have creativity around that is to engage people with different perspectives and backgrounds because it's really complicated. So, you know, what's next? I, I hope that's one that I get to be foundational in creating this emerging industry in a way that leads to good for people. Yes. And, and that is built up of folks from a multitude of backgrounds. It's so important. I love that you brought that up. Um, okay. I want to switch gears a little bit. So we are celebrating Women's History Month. So I want to talk about the superpowers that you are bringing to the table at Rigetti, but that you've you know brought throughout your whole career. So Mandy, what is your superpower? It's a good question. And I was thinking about what's the difference between a strength and a superpower. But as I think about how I operate and what most differentiates me when I'm in a professional environment, it's really this motivation to sleuth out what is the most important, most impactful next thing that needs to be done mm -hmm. and feel flexible and motivated to tackle that thing. And I think that works really good, really well at a startup in particular, yep. because there's so many things to be done and you have to constantly figure out what is the most important next thing. There's this whole list of things that could be done and where do I fit? Where where do I make a unique contribution? You know, What's my do boss doing well? What are my peers doing well? Where's the gap? Um, and I, I, I think that that's you know, where I have a fairly unique value proposition and that I'm comfortable. And I think this is the military background and experience. I was just exposed to so many different things that yeah. I, I have that general capability to navigate lots of different things. Um, and, it, and that has pros and cons. Um, I think it can, you know, from a negative light, it can mean that it looks like you're trying to take on all kinds of things and it can feel like you're trying to take on all kinds of things rather mm -hmm. than something in a, in a scope of, of duty, but you know, I am also okay. I'm also okay being number two, right? Like I don't have to be the one in charge. I really love being able to find that space where there's a gap and fill in the gap and for whatever period of time that needs to be, and then move to the next gap that needs to be plugged. So I think it's, it's kind of unusual. It's not an attribute that you normally think of, but I will say that I, I think that that's been borne out by being an anomaly in the workplace, if you yeah. will, and finding that sense, you know, I fitting in was never super important to me, but it was always obvious that I didn't. And so to really feel a sense of belonging, looking at the mission and where is this gap that no one else is filling? I can think of so many examples in my military career where being a woman in particular, but maybe other experiences in life informed where I'm like, why, why are we doing it this way? And no one had brought that perspective to the table before, right? And so I think that that value out of just coming from a different background and being able to fill in the gap and being accepted and belong and make a contribution, 
not in spite of being different, but absolutely because you are different. Yes. Oh my gosh. Beautiful. That, I mean, that's exactly what this is all about is that when you bring your real self, when you bring your whole self to a lot of these organizations that you're a part of, you, in fact, you're not going to be just operating in order to fit in, but really just, you're going to be bolstering the entire mission of the organization. So I'm super happy you shared that with us. And what are some of the ways that you inspire other women or other folks from underrepresented backgrounds to share their superpowers? Oh, I think the most obvious thing is just to be deliberate about observing what people's strengths are and calling them out. So I think that's one facet is just being determined and making a decision that you are going to look for those things regularly and pour into other people. I think the second way, and and this is the negative framing of it, is just to refrain being critical of other people. I think there's Mm -hmm. one thing that I've learned. I, I did, I don't know, it's been more than 10 years ago now. I did this test called, uh, I think it was called Project Implicit um, by Harvard University that helped you recognize what your biases are. And I was really shocked when I did that, that it turns out that I'm biased against women. And that really sent me into some soul searching. And I realized what was happening, and I've actually read some academic papers on this. When you feel like you're an anomaly, you feel an incredible pressure to represent, like, I feel like I'm representative of of all women. So then what happens when another woman is in the workplace, you also look at her as anything that she does feels like judgment on you. So it's very easy to put a lot of pressure on other women and to become critical. And I think what I try to do now is be much more accepting of, you know what, lots of women in difficult work spaces or underrepresented people in general can feel that kind of like critique of one another. So let's be compassionate towards one another, (laughs) towards ourselves, but compassionate towards one another. Everyone is doing the best they can to navigate difficult situations. And, and, you know, the next person's way of work dealing with that with their particular set of strengths probably looks different than mine. Mm-hmm. And what I need to do is have compassion and be encouraging um, to that person for whatever journey she needs and whatever coping mechanisms she needs to put in place to be able to have conditions for her to show up as her best self as well. So I think that's the the opposite side of just learning to let go of judgment and feeling like every woman's actions is now a reflection on me as well. But again, it's hard. I, I find myself yeah. slipping into that and it has to be a deliberate mindset that I choose no, I'm going to reframe this. I'm going to flip the script mm-hmm. and think about this a different way. It's such an important call out. And, you know, social science has seen it happen time and time again, that obviously women, but all sorts of people, they really have that experience of being overly critical of folks who look like them because they don't want it to reflect poorly on themselves. And I'm I'm happy that you've sort of set up, a, you know, a system for yourself where when you feel it happening, you have to recognize it. You have to understand that, you know, the what the path that they're on doesn't have to be the path that you're on and you can still be compassionate and you know everyone is like wearing t-shirts that say women support women but how do we actually live out those values (laughs) yeah it's Um, hard it's hard you know and the research says that once you get above 25 to 30 percent of 
of representation that melts away. But anytime you're under that 25 to 30 percent, mm. most under underrepresented people will feel that need um, to critique one another to be a, the best representation possible for whatever 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 it is that you're representing. Yes. Oh my gosh. So interesting. Um, and so, Mandy, my last question for you is. Who inspires you most? I love this question and I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I am inspired by a lot of people. I mean, uh, everyone from my mom to my colleagues to uh, Bethany. And, you know, there's so many people. But let me, I, I, I really enjoy reading about the inspirational stories of others. So there's two people that I'm thinking about right now. And these okay. you probably won't get these from anyone else. So uh, these are good ones that Perfect. I hope people will get. They're Mandy originals. And, and learn the story of. Um, so being in quantum computing, uh, one person that I have read the story of recently is Carolyn Parker. And she is the first African-American woman known to earn a post graduate degree in physics. And yes. so she was part of the Manhattan Project. Actually, it was a sub project within the Manhattan Project called the Dayton Project, which was plutonium research and development. And she did this during World War II back in the early 40s. I mean, it's just oh, a phenomenal goodness. story. So look up Carolyn Parker. Uh, unfortunately, she died young at age 48, I think. Uh, due to the exposure she had in her wow. career to uh, polonium, and so anyway, I, I think she's a she's somebody that I'm thinking about, like that has just a pioneer, uh, a pioneer in physics, which is again re relevant to quantum computing. So I've been thinking about her inspiration, and so the the second one you're going to laugh at is um, a Middle Eastern woman who was a leader in 1100 BC. And oh, of course. Is, <laughs> and her name is Deborah. And I find this so inspirational to think about, you know, a couple thousand years ago, women in leadership. And, and Deborah was a judge. She was a leader uh, in her nation. She was also a warrior. And so many things that we talk about, uh, that we've talked about in Breaking Allyship. So mm -hmm. she, w she had an ally in Barack. And so when Barack needed to go off to war, Deborah was his ally. And you can read the, the stories of the end of Sisera. And she was instrumental in ushering in a 40, year of, 40 years of peace for, for her people. And so yes, I, I just find this inspirational. You know, this is 3,000 years ago that a woman who was a political leader and a military leader. You know, we just don't think about that. We never you know, we're think not about alone. That. There are pioneers that have gone many, many years before us. So those are two two that you probably won't get in one of your other interviews. Absolutely have not. And I am so delighted that you brought them up. And I can just say that probably when Deborah was ruling, they were not considering that we would talk about her in a Women's History Month episode in 2021. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I, um, but Mandy, this was just such a delight. You, your insights, your experience, your background, everything was, was just so spot on and such a perfect way to celebrate Women's History Month. So thank you for taking out the time to chat with us, to share your story with our community. And do you have any final thoughts that, that you would like to leave with everyone? 
I think I would just say a word of encouragement. If you're listening to this podcast, you may be in a time of transition or have come through a transition. And I have to reflect on my own life. And I think that all of these transitions that I've gone through have made me a better human on the other side. So hang in there, be compassionate to yourself, really invest the time to reflect on who you are, what the core of your identity is. Of course, your career is an important expression of that, but that's not who makes up who you are. So stay encouraged, check out Breakline, listen to this podcast, <laughs> see all the amazing resources that this team has to offer. Listen to some of the previous podcasts. They're so inspiring. I can't wait for each episode as it comes out. So thank you, Sophia. It was great to engage with you and the audience today. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon too. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in for another episode in the Breakline Arena celebrating Women's History Month. If you liked what you heard, please do one of three things. You can like, you can subscribe, you can follow our podcast. You also should tell your friends, tell your family, tell your mom, tell your dog, tell your mailman, tell your woman, tell your male person. And if you are interested in learning more about joining the Breakline community, please reach out to us. Our website is breakline.org or apply to one of our programs. We will see you guys next week for another episode of the Breakline Arena.